It's the July 19, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown, a reconfiguration of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, a repeat offender of the Billy Graham rule, Mahler, the fake news dog. Coming up, our fascist, racist, rapist president, climate crisis denier research, the religious freedom agenda, mm-hmm. black holes, <laughs> and more. Hey, you hear about the manhole covers? They're now called maintenance covers. Oh, I was thinking as part of reparation for a while, we should call them woman hole covers. Well, there you go. Yeah. But I got slapped in the face when I said that. <laughs> the acoustics of that aren't yeah. quite... Did you ever go to the alligator farm in Buena Park? I drove by it a lot, but I never went because I'm afraid of alligators. That's why why I felt. Why would I want to go to an alligator farm? There's many things in life that are just going to jump up and bite you in the butt, you know, in terms of general behavior, guests getting through life. I'm not going to place myself in a... It's like going to the loaded gun exhibit. Tennessee police arrested a man after he tried to flush a dozen grams of meth down his toilet. Police jokingly said that this could create meth gators in Alabama. Now, he's in Tennessee. Yeah. But they said it could create meth gators in Alabama. In a statement regarding the arrest, the Loretto Police Department stated that ducks, geese, and other fowl frequent our sewage treatment ponds, and we shudder to think that, well, one all hyped up on meth would do. Furthermore, if the meth made it far enough, we could create meth gators in Shoal Creek and the Tennessee River down in North Alabama. They've had enough methed up animals in the past few weeks without our help. So if you need to dispose of your drugs, just give us a call and we'll make sure that they're disposed of in the proper way. It sounds suspicious to me. It does sound like suspicious. Just bring us your drugs. Call us up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they're trying to be wily, I think. I think so. And by the way, the meth up animals they're talking about, they were referring to an attack squirrel that was found during a meth raid in Limestone County, Alabama. Yeah, they found a a squirrel that was a vicious, (laughs) yeah, yeah. No, I know. Mahler would have handled that situation. Yeah. Uh, in a week, where our president, who's so stupid, he wouldn't know a racist if he was one. <laughs> who's so stupid? How stupid is he? Yeah. <laughs> he thinks the school integration busing controversy in the 1960s was about clearing dishes off his table at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> yeah, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, yeah. Food. I know. Who's so stupid? <laughs> How stupid is he? He thinks climate change is a refrigerator setting. <laughs> In a week where our president told Congress members to go back to the country they came from to distract us. Yes. From his involvement with a serial pedophile. Yes. In that same week, scientists issued a report saying we're going to have a lot more dangerously hot days with heat indexes. That's temperature plus humidity. You know, heat index. Right. Humidity in there, and it makes it extra miserable. It does. That are literally off the charts. They're literally off of any way we have of notating them yeah yeah i have a feeling we'll come up with ways to notate them in the future 
<clears throat> However, at this point in our general human history yeah. of experiencing he heat and hot weather, yeah. they are Humidity. currently not chartable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow. By 2050, hundreds of U.S. cities could see an entire month each year with heat index temperatures above 100 degrees if nothing is done to rein in global warming. Mm -hmm. The number of days per year when the heat index exceeds 100 degrees will more than double nationally. <coughs> Illinois will have 43 days a year above 100 degrees. Yeah. That's a lot of days That's above lot 100 of day. degrees. Yeah. Right now, Florida has four days a year above 105. By mid-century, it'll be 63 days. Oh my. Yeah. And by the end of the century, Texas will have 80 days a year above 105. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Kidding about if you're from right. Texas, I, yeah. I apologize. So don't send any letters. However, this is the terrible, awful, disgusting thing about global climate crisis, climate change, climate damage, is that that means we'll be using more air conditioning. Yeah. Which so which which worse. is feeding in to this horrible loop uh -huh. of misery. Uroboros, the snake biting his tail. Yeah. But now let's get back to arguing about whether our fascist, racist, rapist, pedophile president is a fascist, racist, rapist, pedophile. Shall we? Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Some people like our fascist, rapist, racist, pedophile president. Well, there are people. Yeah. There are many, many people, many people, so many people have told me that they love me. Is that an impression uh, of you, Mike? I know. It's my lame impression of our uh, rapists. They believe in him like Jesus. And as we all know, Jesus said that the climate crisis is a Chinese hoax. Yes. I believe he said that, even though there's a 97% consensus of experts in the field of climate research that say it's real and happening now. Yeah. Climate crisis deniers have their own research papers. They do. Yeah. <laughs> they do. If you can call them that. You know, there's an old saying, Nathan Callahan, uh -oh. and that is, figures don't lie, but liars can figure. Well, that's a stupid saying. Oh, I liked it, until you just made fun of it. Liars figure? I'm what does saying, that mean? Figures don't lie. I get that. But liars can figure. What do they figure? They're figuring out that climate change is a hoax. See, they're well, liars. They're not figuring out anything. They're just lying this, about it. That was a it. perfectly good saying. Until I ruined it? You just ruined it for me. Anyway, all these research <laughs> papers that climate deniers come up with have basic common themes. Yeah. Climate crisis denier research omits important contextual information or ignores key data. Right. This is what I like about this story. Some scientists got together and said, okay, Let's entertain the, the idea, the concept, that we might be wrong. Let's look at these so-called scholarly reports on climate well, that's change what scientists do. and see if we can replicate it. That is the essence of science. They always look to see if they're wrong. Yeah, they always are. They're always probing their own research and their own methods in order to see if there are flaws in it. That's why they call it science. That's why they call it science. So these guys got together and said, let's take these papers and see if we can replicate what they're doing and saying. For example, a 2011 paper by, get this, Humlum. <laughs> Humlum. Humlum et al. There uh, are other folks yeah. involved besides Humlum. Yeah. Involved a vague idea that the moon and solar cycle somehow can affect the Earth's climate. The problem with the paper was that it discarded 
most of the data from the Holocene period that didn't fit their claims. Right, so it's a yeah. six thousand year period. Yeah, yeah. they so. figured out which data they liked exactly. and they cherry picked. Exactly. So we got cherry picking. Cherry we got picking. bad curve fitting. Fitting yeah. is another common theme in uh, contrarian climate research. Curve fitting is when you take several different variables with regular cycles and stretch them out until the combination fits a given curve. Right. Good modeling will constrain the possible values of the curve parameters being used so that they reflect known physics. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But bad curve fitting doesn't limit itself to physical realities. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and it goes on and on. Yes. Other climate denier research blamed the climate crisis on the orbital cycles of Jupiter yeah. and Saturn. Yeah. Yeah, some argue that the greenhouse effect has been saturated. In other words, the climate is self-regulated. Right. But it's, no. but it's not. The saturated greenhouse effect myth was debunked in the early 20th century. It's just bad math. It's just bad. Yeah. This is bad science. Thankfully, these people took it seriously enough. They'd explored it to the point where we have a, a greater understanding of just how effed up these people are. And the flaws are the norm, not the exception exactly. in all these. Yes with climate crisis deniers. They offer no cohesive, consistent alternative theory to how effing hot it's getting. Yes. But on the other hand, there's a 97% expert consensus on a cohesive theory that's overwhelmingly supported by the scientific evidence. That's right. The 2 to 3% of papers that reject the consensus are all over the map and they don't don't have anything. There's no that's, that, that's such an important point. Yeah. The 97% are within a narrow band on the same page. In 2009, in a cartoon that went viral at the Copenhagen Climate Summit, an audience member of the conference asks, what if it's a big hoax and we create a better world for nothing? <laughs> I like that one. I did too. I thought, yeah. I thought that was great. Today, there's more evidence <laughs> that fighting climate change has positive side effects or co-benefits. Yeah. Co-benefits like reducing deaths from air pollution and boosting technological innovation may lower the net cost of climate action to zero. Yeah. So if we do something about it, yeah. over the long haul, we pay nothing for it, and it might even have a net economic benefit rather than a cost. A 2016 UN report found that halving, cutting in half, mm -hmm. greenhouse gas emissions between 2005 and 2050, we're a little bit behind the curve on this one, would reduce premature deaths related to air pollution by 20 to 40%. Yeah. So we get a benefit there, unless you want people to die. The health co-benefits of reducing greenhouse gas emissions could be worth $100 per ton of CO2 in high-income countries like the U.S. and Canada, and $50 per ton in middle-income countries like China. That's a lot, given that the cost of abating a ton of carbon pollution in 2015 was estimated to be $36 per ton on average. So any country that cuts its emissions would get a significant net benefit from health impacts alone. Right. And one last point on all of this, one of the main impediments to us moving forward with an agenda of technology, biology, science, all these different ways in which we will have to eventually move in terms of mitigating climate change is that people are making too much money right now yeah. off a system that is causing climate change and polluting our planet. That's the main impediment. Reducing fossil fuel dependence in the U.S. decreases the danger of disruptions in the energy supply. 
because we are in control of it all. Right. We're not dependent on the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, green roofs. Yeah. They're on your roof. They can suck up carbon dioxide and also reduce emissions by reducing the demand for air conditioning. That's right. So if we did that, That's we right. wouldn't be so concerned about the rising temperatures coming up. So are we talking like a garden or some... Yeah, you yeah. can do it that way. Yeah, yeah. Or you can even just as simple as a white roof to a reflect white roof. the heat. That's right. Obama's uh, Secretary of the Interior was mocked mercilessly yeah. for suggesting that painting our roofs white, which yeah. would reflect the sunlight back. Was How about it, just a lighter color? Yes. Just a lighter color yeah. is fine. You know, you, you, a gray roof looks good. Yeah. I think a white roof. Oh, who's going to see your, who cares about the color of your roof? Really? Yeah, some people do. Yeah, I guess. Put a lot of money on roofs. Right. I like Spanish tile roofs. How about a gray Spanish tile? Um, a light gray Spanish um, tile. Maybe Donald Bren can get behind that. Um, hey, Donald. Hey, Don. Spanish tile. Remember how you like that so much? How about gray? Ooh. <laughs> On the flip side, not investing in climate change action could hurt countries economically in the longer term. Countries that fail to get on this new global alternative energy shift, like Donald Trump's America, are going to be the ones that are left behind in the new economy. How about you, Mueller? How do you feel about it? Oh, okay. If this news discourages you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because you're listening? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio at 88.9 FM, KUCI.org. Very nice, Mother. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Yes. You remember that guy? I do remember him. What a jerk. What a jerk. But he did, he's trying to do a job at least now. It seems like in this case. Yes, he, he is. He issued a warning that the U.S. government is at risk of running out of cash sooner than expected. You could figure that that's what he'd be concerned about. He is Treasury Secretary. I would think that would be a basic part of your job. Is if we run out of money, yeah. I think they're going to start looking around for someone to blame, and you yeah. might be right at the top of that list. In a letter to Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Mnuchin wrote that the U.S. might default on its obligations as early as September before Congress returns from its summer recess. The federal government, which is facing a growing deficit thanks in part to Trump's 2017 tax cuts, has not been able to borrow money since March after a suspension of roughly 13 months enacted as part of a bipartisan budget bill in 2018, the debt ceiling went back into effect March 9th at the level of government debt in the marketplace at that moment, $22 trillion, which, in other words, means that the government instantly hit the ceiling. Yeah. Since then, the Treasury has kept the government going through what is known as extraordinary measures and what managers of household budgets know as moving money around. Uh, the extraordinary measures can work only for a short time, right. as you well know, and yeah. then we run out of money. Yeah. This is uh, based on our good friend Michael Hiltzik at the L.A. Times. Yes. It's uh, this story right here. He says that under the debt ceiling, taxpayers face higher government costs and suspended programs. So he's arguing for no debt ceiling, That's which right. is what you should do. Yeah. People who provide services to the government for pay, including public employees, get stiffed. 
with a debt ceiling. A federal default on debt would produce a surge in interest rates and a stock market crash, a long-term crisis of confidence in the safety of the U.S. government, securities, and cataclysmic effects on global financial systems. Now, it's important to know what the debt was about and how it started. Originally, uh, it was enacted to give the Treasury more freedom to issue debt, not less debt. Right. right. That was 1917. And at the time, Congress was required to vote on every bond issue, every single bond issue. So they decided it would be better to give the Treasury blanket authority to issue bonds, but not unlimited authority. So it imposed an aggregate limit. Since 1962, Congress has raised the limit roughly 100 times. Right. You know, it's a couple times a year. Yeah. Unfortunately, the debt ceiling now has the image of fiscal responsibility. There you go. Yeah. Bingo. The idea being that if the government was forbidden to borrow, it would have to live within that means. But that's just hokum. It is. That's what politicians use to make you think that they're being responsible. The debt does not control or limit the ability of the federal government to run deficits. They can ask for as much as they want. They can get programs running. The problem is it's a limit on the ability to pay obligations already incurred. There you go. So we owe the money. Right. But we can't pay it. Right. Because of this sort of artificial, politically motivated debt ceiling limit that we have now to bring together politicians who then start using this as a bargaining chip. Yeah. And they start talking about cutting, almost always, the Republicans are talking about cutting social programs and talking about raising more money for the military. It is becoming, as you said, a a hindrance. Yeah. You're you're buying a car and you don't want to spend more than $20,000. Right. But you go out and buy a $50,000 car anyway. Yeah. And later on, after you already have the car, is when you crash the ceiling. Right. When you're trying to make the payments. Right. That's what the government has done with this. Exactly right. On Monday, Pelosi, Nancy, turned down Mnuchin's proposal for a short-term rise in the debt ceiling because House Democrats want an agreement that protects non-military spending from cuts. That makes sense, given the current situation, but Pelosi should have asked for a lot more. Yes. Yeah, she should have said, screw the debt ceiling. Let's get rid of that. Yeah. Let's be real here. Right. Let Congress look at the numbers and be responsible for what they are for the programs they are putting forth. Right. But unfortunately, politically speaking, if she was calling for an end to this, the Republicans and maybe some Democrats would be railing about yeah. fiscal irresponsibility yeah, on the part exactly. of the Democrats. Once again, being labeled with this, even though the Republicans, and this is something that Pence was asked this last week, which is, why is it that every time the Republicans come into office, Reagan spent way more money than was brought yeah. in, raised the deficit tremendously. This is Reagan and Bush. The Democrat Clinton comes in and now there's all this political pressure to cut back on social programs. In comes George Bush II, raises the debt tremendously in fighting the war in Iraq and and Afghanistan. The Democrat comes in after him after a major collapse of the economy in 2008. And there's all this pressure on the Democrats to, again, cut social programming when the reason for it was Republicans spending us into a debt. Yeah. A tremendous debt. This is a cycle. Here we are again. Trump And they're benefiting themselves. And they're benefiting. The the wars they got us into benefited. Yeah. The contractors. Dick Cheney and the contractors. And here we go. Trump has uh, got this tax cut for the wealthy. Now the debt's going up a trillion dollars every year, more than it has ever gone up before. 
And now, the, when if and when a Democrat comes into office, there'll be this tremendous pressure to cut social programs. Yeah. This is a cycle. Well, they'll already be cut. Well, they'll already be. You're right. <laughs> they won't have to. They will. So read Michael Hiltzik, L.A. Times. Again, one of the most salient, beautifully reasoned articles come from Michael on a regular basis. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, on Twitter at KUCIFM, on Instagram at KUCIFM. Stream us live on TuneIn. And on iTunes, go to Internet College University, KUCI 88.9 FM. From The Nation. You know that magazine? I do. The Nation? The Nation. As of now, the Trump administration has had 123 federal judges confirmed, including 41 to the federal courts of appeal, the circuit courts, just one rung below the Supreme Court. That's right. By comparison, at this point in his presidency, Barack Obama had pushed only 19 circuit court judges through to confirmation. That's because of Mitch McConnell. Trump's appointees now account for 14% of the federal judiciary and more than 22% of the judges on the nation's courts of appeal. And he has been in office for just two and a half years. This is having a profound effect on the courts moving forward. That's because of all the judges that were held up, all the court judges that were held up because of Mitch McConnell during the Obama administration. Those guys all went away. Those nominees were gone. As soon as Trump came in, this became this fast track as many of these federalist, radically right-wing judges to be appointed. And that's what's happening. Trump's judges are hostile toward women's rights to choose. They're dismissive of LGBTQ rights and protections, in some cases to the point of open bigotry. They're hostile to minority voting rights and claims of racial or gender discrimination. They're mostly young and inexperienced. And an unsettling number are simply partisan think tank writers, op-ed columnists, and are even bloggers. Right. Maybe I can get a job. (laughs) They believe in deregulation to the point of corporate anarchy, meaning that significant climate change proposals might have to wait until they can be enacted over these judges' literal dead bodies. Right. Because they're in for a long time. Right. It takes a lot to unseat a judge. 78% are male and 87% are white. Yeah. These are the people who are going to judge you in the future, make decisions about what you're going to do. And we're not talking traffic court. We're talking about decisions that are, as you said, one rung below the Supreme Court. No, no, they're, they're precedent setting. They're precedent. They're the ones who make law on things that the Supreme Court decides, whether it's constitutional or not constitutional. And the ramifications of those decisions are, as I said, profound. Yeah. In the seven or eight different judges that were profiled in this nation yeah, article, it's worth going to to read. Most some of, of these. them are forty-six or forty-seven. One's fifty-three and one's sixty-five. It means they're there for thirty or forty years. Yeah. Trump's court takeover has been orchestrated by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the Federalist Society, funded by powerful right-wing donors, including Charles and David Koch, Robert and Rebecca Mercer, and the SCAFE Foundations. The Federalist Society does the serious vetting of many potential nominees. 
In March, Trump finally flipped the critical Third Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, achieving a majority of judges appointed by Republicans instead of Democrats. If Trump wins a second term, the ultra-conservative takeover of the lower courts will be complete. Right. And these courts are incredibly important. The Supreme Court heard only about 70 cases during 2018 to 2019, out of nearly 7,000 that are filed annually for potential review. For all the cases that are not taken up by the Supreme Court, the vast majority, these lower courts serve as a final arbiter. You mentioned the Koch brothers, Charles and David, also uh, Robert and Rebecca Mercer. Let's not forget these are the people behind Cambridge Analytica. This was Trump's biggest contributor by a long ways, the Mercer family. These are radically right-wing, libertarian. They helped throw the election. Helped throw the election. Just go to thenation.com if you'd like to read more about this. And from the Atlantic, while we're arguing about whether Trump is a fascist, racist, rapist, pedophile, conservatives are pushing the religious freedom agenda. Right. Another big thing that's been going on, which is really an integration of Taliban Christianity into foreign and domestic policy. Yep. Calling it religious freedom avoids running afoul of the Constitution's Establishment Clause. It's really about their religion's freedom. The State Department's Office of International Religious Freedom, headed by an ambassador-ranked diplomat, has been around since the late 1990s, but now it is distinctly Christian Taliban in its leanings. This week, Ambassador Sam Brownback, who heads the office, will host the second annual Ministerial to Advance Religious Freedom, along with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. These people are nutty Christians. They're nutty Christians. Yeah. These are, There's great Christians out there. Yeah. Don't there get are. me wrong. Yes, there These are. people are nuts. Yeah. These are end times Christians, yeah. by the way. And they're also, Brownback is a card-carrying member of The Family, which is yeah. the radical right-wing lobbying group in Washington, D.C., who holds the National Prayer Breakfast every year. And this is how the Russians were getting into the high, highest reaches of our government was through that uh, Bettina yeah, woman. Yeah. And she was part of the National Prayer Breakfast. And Brownback, like I said, he is a like, card-carrying member of this crazy, radical Taliban Christian organization. In 2016, Martin Castro, who was appointed by Obama to chair the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, wrote that religious freedom is often used as a code word for discrimination, intolerance, racism, sexism, homophobia, and Islamophobia, and Christian supremacy. And what he's really saying there is, again, this nutty Christian supremacy. Right. You know, good Christians aren't worried about supremacy. They just do good. That's right. That's right. Religious freedom arguments were deployed by Hobby Lobby in its 2014 Supreme Court case to successfully argue against its obligation under the Affordable Care Act to offer contraception to employees. More than 100 statehouse bills across the country use religious freedom as the grounds for everything from campus free speech policies to discrimination by private businesses against same-sex couples. (coughs) Yeah, Molly. What is it? Boing, boing. (laughs) Boing, boing. That's what Molly says. He loves boing, boing. Boing, boing. Boing, 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 boing. Yeah. Uh, Boing, boing. (laughs) Yeah. Boing Boing reported on Ayers property expropriation this week. This is a deeply disturbing story. Southern states allow white land developers to steal Reconstruction-era land from black families. It's called Ayers property expropriation. 
properties were deeded to formerly enslaved black people who carefully worked at the land and prospered until white mobs came and chased them away with arson, murder, and threats. Yeah. Many of the blacks who stayed were chased off with massive tax hikes directed at black landowners. Now get this, in South Carolina, property taxes levied on black lands went up as much as 700% in a decade. 700% in a decade. It was like each year they doubled just about. Yeah. Hilton Head had thousands of acres of heirs' property, and it now has fewer than 200. As the remaining property owners began to die off, they were correctly mistrustful of white Southern lawyers, so they did not draw up wills, leaving their family land to their descendants through a system called heirs' property, under the incorrect view that this would keep the land in the family. Instead, they found themselves frozen out of home ownership through redlining. Even now, they're targets for predatory, wealthy land developers who exploit the complex and unfair law governing heirs' property to seize and expropriate hundreds and even thousands of acres at a time. The main system for doing this is called partition. If a single heir with even a tiny claim to family land can be found and convinced to sell their title, the developer can use the courts to force a sale of the whole family property. People who live on the family land are unable to outbid their expropriators. This gets even worse when mixed with an antiquated, discredited law called the Torrens Act, which allows would-be expropriator to pay a court-appointed lawyer to review their claim to a title and seize land without going through a full court procedure. They can do it without even taking you to court, essentially. Eight southern states still support and encourage this kind of white-on-black land theft, One notable culprit is North Carolina, especially Carteret County, whose 70,000 residents are 94% white, but whose losers in heirs' property cases are 42% black. This is yeah, this no is kidding. this is no kidding. <laughs> that disturbs me. No, no, I know this is a, people talk about systemic racism. Yeah. This is another example of it's hidden in plain sight. These are systems of repression and of expropriation, robbery that are still active today. How many of you have vacationed in Hilton Head? Yeah. 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 A lot of people. A lot of people who play golf, by the way. Yeah. A racist game. Because there's a tournament called the Masters. Yeah. Thank you very much. Microsoft, you know that place, right? Yeah, Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, that company. Yeah. Was it Bill Gates? that the guy? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Billy. Billy. Billy Gates. Billy, Billy, Billy. Microsoft said that it notified almost 10,000 customers in the past year that they're being targeted by nation-sponsored hackers. That means hackers. They're getting paid by their countries to hack. Yeah. That's what it would mean. I just want to slow that down a little bit. (laughs) But 84% of the attacks targeted customers that were large enterprise organizations like corporations. Microsoft has seen extensive activity from five specific groups sponsored by Iran, North Korea, and Russia, including Fancy Bear. Oh, Fancy Fancy Bear's back. Oh, my gosh. That's one of Mahler's favorites. Yeah, I know. You love Fancy Bear Mahler. He loves Fancy Bear. Yeah. Fancy Bear. Uh, is a Russian outfit that has operated since 2008 and is believed to be working for the GRU, which is Russia's military intelligence service. Fancy Bear was one of two Russian-sponsored groups that hacked the Democratic National Committee ahead of the 2016 presidential election. Since launching its account guard platform for, for protecting Democratic elections last August, 
Microsoft has made 781 notifications of nation-sponsored attacks targeting organizations that make use of the technology. The vast majority of the attacks, 95%, were based in the U.S. The figures give a good indication of what to expect in the near future. Microsoft representatives said they anticipate seeing attacks targeting U.S. election systems, political campaigns, or non-governmental organizations in 2020. So we have something to not look forward to in this current election. This is the world we live in now. Mahler's sad. Maybe this will get you feeling better, Mahler. This has been an exhausting... (laughs) Yeah. Astronomers. We got black holes here, though. Oh, good. Black holes, Mahler. Mahler. We love black holes. Yes, we do. (laughs) Thank you. Black holes. Yes. Astronomers using NASA's Hubble Space Telescope found an unexpected thin disk of matter furiously whirling around a supermassive black hole at the heart of the spiral galaxy NGC 3147. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, I love yeah. that one. Who can forget NGC uh, 4137? Yeah, Mahler likes it. Uh, That's one of his favorite galaxies, by the way. It's either that or 3146. Yeah, yeah. I like 3147 much yeah, better. Yeah. It's warmer. That's 130 million light years away, Mike. No. Yeah. <laughs> kind of chills your vacation plan. <laughs> that does. Based on current uh, astronomical theories, the disk shouldn't be there. It should, this this matter uh, should not be there around the black hole. Shouldn't be. But there. its unexpected presence so close to a black hole offers a unique opportunity to test Albert Einstein's theories of relativity. We've never seen the effects of both general and special relativity in visible light with this much clarity, said Marco Schaberge of the European Space Agency. Black holes in certain types of galaxies, like NGC 3147, are malnourished because there's not enough gravitationally captured material to feed them regularly. (laughs) Yeah. You want some of that? Yeah. Muller wants to be fed. Feed me. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Black hole feeding. Ah, Uh, So it's very puzzling why there's a thin disk encircling a starving black hole that mimics much more powerful disks found in extremely active black holes. They can't figure out why there's all this material there. And Mahler and I were trying to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, why would that even be? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) where, Where did that matter come from? It must have come... I guess it's leftover. Did it spit out of the black hole? Yeah. Maybe it's a reverse black hole. Maybe soon there'll be another galaxy there. Maybe this, because I've seen all the Star Trek movies. Yeah. So maybe this is (laughs) the part where the Enterprise spits out on the other side of the black hole. This could be it right here. This could be. Yeah. This could be. Oh, By the way, the black hole's mass is around 250 million suns. 250 million of our suns. And finally, an animal shelter in Utah received a baby bird delivered by Uber. The driver just came up and handed them a baby bird at this animal shelter after a man decided he was too drunk to drive the baby bird there himself. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.